Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Deuteronomy in the 8th chapter, beginning with the 2nd verse and continuing through the 6th. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you known that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. The New Testament reading for this morning comes to us from 1 Peter in the first chapter, beginning at verse 17 and continuing through the 23rd verse. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him, you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Last week, our New Testament reading was from very near the beginning of this first letter of Peter to his friends and fellow believers in the church of Jesus Christ. Here, a bit further along in that same letter, he is reminding his audience, who were quite probably, predominantly also from the people of Israel, of some key points to keep in mind when it came to their living out this new life in Christ, the one which they had all received as the great gift of Easter. In this segment, he draws what I think is both a fascinating 
and a profound comparison for them to connect them with the history of their Hebrew ancestors who had known what it was to live time and again in a state of exile. They were cut off from the land which they were to have inhabited during stints in Egypt, in Assyria, and in Babylon. These people knew pretty darn well what it was like to be kept from being where it was they wanted to be, from going where it was they wanted to go. They were familiar with regimes that kept them captive. But what makes the comparison even more profound is that Peter is writing as if this is some long ago figment of their historical memories, but as if it is something which has been persistent throughout the ages, even up until the very time of Christ. For though the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been dwelling in the land of milk and honey that had been their promised portion by the time of the writing of this letter now for generations, they had also to endure during that time a sort of internal exile. They were never, after all, the strongest power in the region, and so they often found themselves under the control and sometimes even under the occupation of other foreign powers. The Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, they had all had their go at pacifying and controlling the land in which the Hebrews had at last settled. By the time Jesus came on the scene, the people had long since grown weary of knots being free within their own land. They felt as if they were exiled at home, if you will, and they didn't like it. They looked to God to act, to provide salvation from this oppression. And while God heard their cries and while God did act, it was in a way they did not expect. And from a captor, most didn't even know that they could seek freedom from. For me, what makes this comparison extremely relevant is the way in which the words of Peter were describing for his audience not only a situation that he saw had represented itself to the people in their day, but also has come to the forefront of our own corporate consciousness right here and right now in the present day living as we are in reverent fear in the time of our exile. We too are now living in an era, however brief or not so brief it may turn out to be, but it is a brand new era nonetheless in which we are exiled from the church. The buildings, the grounds, the physical fellowship of the saints, Yes, we have been forcibly removed from all those elements of a faith community. Well, how then do we continue to live in this reverent fear? Well, I think it's important that we first recall the context of this letter from Peter. For what he is certainly not suggesting is that we learn to live in fear of living. The world gives us all sorts of reasons to be fearful 
and plenty of excuses are offered to us that we could use to conveniently and quietly step away from our calling as church. Peter was no doubt very well aware of this in his day and time, but here he's specifically referring about a fear not of the world, but of the one who has overcome the world. The Jewish wisdom writers who gave us the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job all rightly observed the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not just an irrational phobia of something, but a specific and a warranted careful living in obedience to the will of the Lord God, for he alone is the one that all should fear. He alone has the power to build up and to tear down. He alone has the power to sow and to reap. He alone has the power over life and death. He alone has the power over exile and return. These things became clear to the Hebrews who had ears to hear and eyes to see as they were recorded for posterity. And each generation was then charged with telling the stories to the next generation so they would never forget all that the Lord God was capable of and all that the Lord God had done for them as individuals and as a chosen people of servants. Reminders of their time in the wilderness. Reminders of their time in exile. Reminders of how God had acted on their behalf. Peter, just as Jesus, certainly would have heard these stories. And they are helping now inform the message that he is writing. The stories that he is telling about being radically reshaped by the sacrificial and saving work of the Messiah, the one who has come and who has ushered in a new commandment, a new covenant, a new life in union with the God whom we are in reverent fear of. The new commandment that we have been given is a call to love others in a way that Jesus demonstrated not a, an ecstatic, head-over-heels, honeymoon sort of love, but a tough, gritty, sacrificial marriage sort of love. In Peter's own words to his friends, now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. One need not be present to love like that. Many a long distance relationship has been nurtured for months, even years at a time. This is just the sort of work, and yes, it does take work to love one another sometimes. This is just the sort of work that can be done in exile. It takes some imagination for sure, but as it's been said, Necessity is the mother of invention, and there seems to be at present a fair bit of necessity being imposed on us all. As we think about what it means to be faithful disciples, 
committed to fulfilling our call to participate in the new covenant as grateful recipients of the grace and mercy that we've received through the body and blood of Christ, the exhortation to love God and love neighbor hasn't changed, though the expression might need some adapting. This is precisely the situation the Israelites faced in their own times of isolation. How to worship a God who is resident in a land that we have been removed from, in a place that has been destroyed by our enemies? How do we live in the midst of a people who have taken us captive? Well, Jesus came in part to show his fellow Israelites a way through the wilderness. Peter is writing his fellow converts from Judaism to stay firm in their belief in Jesus and trust in the God, the God who had raised this Jesus from death to life. That is just the nature of the power that we are rightly in awe of, rightly wary of, rightly cautious around. But that is also the very same power that is now at work in us through the gift of the spirit of the risen Christ. This supernatural power of love calls us to respond with love, even when so often our human natures would really rather prefer not to have to. As I shared this week with those of you on the church email list, I have again found myself running aground on these very rocky shoals. Jesus has already done the heavy lifting for us, and he has loved us in a way which only God himself could. We were certainly undeserving of his affection for us. Now, as Peter says, we have come to realize the truth of this amazing and this unmerited grace that has been lavished upon us. All that we are asked in return is to show God and our fellow sinners a glimmer of that love through our own acts of patience, forbearance, compassion, kindness, even during a time of exile. Pray for the welfare of the city you are in. The Israelites were instructed while being held against their will in Babylon. That really isn't asking a whole lot when you think about it. It doesn't cost a, a great deal of effort, but it does call for a heart that is receptive and a spirit that can show empathy even during difficult times. It doesn't take much, but it takes something to overcome the inertia of inaction and to upset the status quo, which the enemy is forever trying to convince us is good enough. So when I see members of this congregation sewing handmade masks and donating them to nursing facilities, when I see members of this congregation delivering treats to frontline healthcare workers in our community, along with notes of encouragement, when I see members of this congregation giving financially to organizations which continue to meet the basic needs of some of our most vulnerable populations, I feel humbled and inspired 
to love the other more deeply from the heart in any and all the seasons of our life together. Loving more deeply from the heart, despite the way I feel, despite what I'm experiencing at the moment, despite the overcast skies that have been so prevalent lately, despite the cool breezes that have felt more like autumn than spring, despite the rain which has seemed to be more frequent than usual, despite the unpleasantness that we see all around us in the world, these are precisely the conditions under which Jesus demonstrated to us how a godly love was shared. Our maker has loved us through exile after exile. Even when we, his people, have tried to exile ourselves from him, he has continued to love us and has ransomed us from the futile ways of our ancestors, as Paul writes. And he loves us still in the midst of this current unpleasantness. Therefore, beloved of God, take a deep breath and remember who you are now. New creations made in the image and likeness of Jesus, our Savior and our friend. May we live this new day full of this knowledge, and may we open ourselves more to the praises of love this revelation engenders as we continue to say, thanks be to God, and amen.